there is a sort of minimum level of technicality, so you know, minimum level of audio standard, minimum level of pixels we see at the kitchen, please, someone who's completely blurry. But I think once you hit that minimum level, what people are more interested in is, is the video content itself of good quality? Is it a well-thought-out video? Is it entertaining? Is the person personable? Those things become far more important. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, thrilled to be here. As always, well, we're really excited to have our guest back. This is part two of a two-part series per usual, and this time we're with Raphael Jackson. Welcome back. Thanks, Tiffany. Great to be here. Last week, we talked a lot about your video strategy and background, and this week, we're going to dive into what that looks like when faculty put it into practice and to ask about your predictions for the future of video content in higher ed. So we'll go ahead and jump right back in. I know one of the things that Brad was most excited to share with us is this unique remote video strategy that you've been using with authors. We have hundreds of remote adjunct faculty who are spread out across the U.S. and beyond. And so, you know, it's something that perhaps we could use as a video strategy with our adjuncts as well. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So the strategy that we used to create video really came out of the pandemic. So what we would do in the past is authors that I had known and worked with, um, we would either fly them to our DC office or one of Sage's other offices, or if we knew they were going to a conference and Sage was also going to be at that academic conference, mm. we would bring a video team there. We would film with them in person and film with them, get a bunch of footage, and then create some videos from that. But then, of course, the pandemic happened, and we needed more video than ever, but we couldn't meet with anybody in person. So what we did was we put together a little kit that's like a tripod, a mic that connects to the microphone in your phone, and then a ring light. And it's very easy to set up. You know, Brad, you can <laughs> hopefully you'll agree with me that it's pretty easy to set up. Absolutely. Also, the participant just uses their phone. And so long as they've got, you know, a pretty decent phone, sort of iPhone 6 or above, that films in HD 30 frames a second. That's more than enough for our purposes. And what would happen is uh, they'd set up the equipment beforehand. We've got a little video that tells them how to do that. Then they'd jump on a Teams call with us. We'd help them adjust if there are any adjustments that need to be made. And then I would just interview them and they would speak directly into their phone, and then they send that footage to us. So it's been really, really successful. And even as the pandemic winds down, touch wood, we're still going to keep going with this because it means we can reach so many more people. And it's been great for diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as anything else. Because before, there were lots of authors that I knew, but the cost of flying them to DC from wherever they were based was just too high or they weren't going to the same academic conferences or their university couldn't pay for them to go to these academic conferences. So I didn't have a chance to film with them. Whereas now everybody has a reasonably decent iPhone or some form of recording 
and we can send these kits anywhere in the world. So we've really been able to increase the number of voices and increase the number of people that we can record and speak to as a result of this. You know, we tend to ask, I feel like, pretty philosophical <laughs> questions on here, theoretical, but I think we're just going to go there. I'm, I'm curious, what does it cost to put together a kit, assuming that the person you're sending it to has an iPhone or some sort of device to use? Sure. So the kit is about $50. Wow. And then, you know, to ship that out via UPS, it's another sort of $25, $30 generally. So very, very low cost to us compared to what we were doing in the past, flying authors out to DC or one of our other offices and, you know, paying for them to be put up in a hotel, et cetera, or flying out to academic conferences. So yeah, it's really, really reduced the cost as well. And we can create just as great videos still. The, the other element of this that I think was so very helpful are the coaching strategies that you use. Yeah. For example, to help me pick a location in my house that would be a good background and to set the lighting correctly. And we could do all of that remotely using Zoom. Yeah. We got it exactly the way we wanted it. My question would be, overall, how would you assess the quality of those videos compared to what you might've done at a conference or at one of your studios? So that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked this because we actually did some testing on this. So we had somebody film the same video in at a conference in a studio and then we had them film the same video in their house and then we showed it to some academics and we and to some students and we said what do you think is there one video that you prefer and the video that was filmed remotely it's still a pretty good quality I mean I don't think it's as good a quality as we could get in our sort of professional studio with a professional background but it still looks good. And the feedback that we received was actually, we don't really mind that it's a little bit less. The background looks a little bit less professional and it's clear that somebody's filming this from their home. What we care about is, you know, how personable is the participant? Mm -hmm. How knowledgeable are they? And, you know, how clear and precise is their language? That was far more important to them having a professional background, which really surprised us and is something that we're going forward. I think actually it should have been obvious to us because the way that podcasting has taken off, like this podcast, mm -hmm. we, people don't seem to mind. I don't mind some of the podcasts that I listen to. If it's obvious that it's not Hollywood standard and that these people are creating their podcast somewhere that's not a soundproof studio, what matters so more is what they're talking about and the personalities you're listening to. And we found it's the same thing with the videos that we're creating that within reason, you know, the videos still need to sound and look reasonably good, but they don't need to be Hollywood standard for people to really enjoy them and learn from these videos and watch them. And probably when you were doing a project with studio-based or conference-based videos, you were having to work within a certain budget in terms of how many people you could actually bring in or get contact with. This just widens that net dramatically. As long as they have a place where you can send the, the kit um, and a phone, off you go. What's post-production look like now compared to what it looked like for you before? <laughs> post-production kind of looks the same. So something that I am really passionate about and really care about is when I'm producing a video, 
I hate it when you have a newspaper article or there's some sort of text-based work and at the end they just chuck in a video and it doesn't really relate to what's gone before. And it just looks like they've just chucked in a video there just to make it sort of multimedia-y. That's not a word. <laughs> to add in some multimedia <laughs> and just kind of make it look more interactive, but it isn't really. They're just throwing in a video there. So post-production looks the same in that I'm looking at that sort of raw, string out that raw footage and then editing the text and looking at the text and creating an edit sheet and giving my instructions to the video editors based on what's in the text. And then what happens is that video gets edited according to my instructions. We have another look at it. We make some changes and then it goes for final render. And then it gets published um, whenever we're publishing that new product. And Raphael and his team are just so encouraging and gave such great directions. And we're very patient with my ramblings. Just made it a, a wonderful experience from on my end as well. So I thank you for no, that. You weren't rambling at all. I don't worry. We've dealt with far, far worse. You were great. Uh, you forget, Raphael, you're talking with two people who hear me ramble all the time. So they know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about when it comes time to share this podcast and the kinds of things that we would put on marketing materials, like quotes from the guests. I love that you said, I'm not going to actually use this one. But I think it's funny because uh, it's true. Don't just chuck a video. <laughs> chuck a video in there at the end of the yeah. text that does happen so people can say check there's mixed media here <laughs> yeah and it doesn't really add anything to it or really even so often relate to what the text has been about and yeah that's something that I really try and avoid and, and I feel <laughs> video is so it's expensive to make it's time consuming <laughs> I feel like if you're going to do it, you should do it right. And it should really actually enhance the text. There are literally millions of faculty listening right now as you're speaking. Just want you to know that. No pressure. Because we are Hollywood level, right, Brad? You are on the platform right now. And you're going to be speaking to millions of faculty about how they can improve the quality of their videos. Hmm. What would you suggest to them? So the first thing that I would say is to really think about what do you want this video to do? Like, are you trying to get a student to think? Are you trying to teach them something? Are you trying to direct them towards other resources? So being really clear of your overall objective will massively improve your video. And then secondly, once you're clear on your objective, think about what type of video will best explain that. So if you're trying to explain something, say, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with the Kirkpatrick model. It's a model that explains how there are different stages to teaching and development, and you can measure the impact of your teaching course depending on how people's behavior changes. And so for something like that, I would recommend doing an animation because you can throw that model up on the screen. You can have somebody create a script. It'll probably be about two minutes and all very nicely with some engaging animations to talk about what this model is, why it's important, and how you can apply it. But if you're doing something like giving advice to students, people don't respond well to advice from animated stick figures. People want a person <laughs> who they think is knowledgeable, who they trust, and who's explained their credentials to give them advice. So then it's probably best to have an interview video and have someone on the screen explain, this is why I'm knowledgeable about this subject. I've been through what you're about to go through. 
and this is my advice and here are some things. And the third thing I would say is keep it short. It's different if you're doing a lecture, but if you're creating a video where you're trying to achieve a concrete objective, like teach somebody something, give somebody some advice, then keep it short, five minutes. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it in five minutes, then it's too complicated. There's something wrong. You need to simplify or you need to divide up what you're trying to do into multiple videos. Mm -hmm. Seems like you really gave a case there, maybe unintentionally for our friends in learning experience design or the instructional designers out there too, that sometimes this part that you're describing is a lot to think through. What am I trying to accomplish? What are the course learning outcomes, the program learning outcomes, the general education learning outcomes, if that's a thing somewhere, but to think through that and what video fits best, it just seems like the ideal collaboration between the person doing the video and the learning experience design team and the faculty member, just a true collaboration opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And it really does come back to that. I think anything really, once you're clear mm -hmm. on your objective, you will be better at it. I think that's, that's my main takeaway is just be clear on what you're trying to do. Yeah. We had a podcast with Brian Alexander. He's a futurist. And he talked a lot about predictions for the future. And ever since then, we find ourselves asking guests to make predictions. <laughs> like we're trying to crown the next futurist. And so we're going to do that to you too. Do you have any predictions about the future of video content in higher ed? I do. Well, firstly, my first prediction is I think it's here to stay. And that really was cemented for me about two months ago. So I do work on a number of different products, meet with probably around 100 academics a year. And someone who I sincerely like, I've worked with him for a long time, but he is someone that I don't think he would mind. I would describe him as a little bit stuffy and a little bit set in his ways. And we were proud. talking about a new project. <laughs> Not you, proud, I promise. Um, I promised uh, you wouldn't tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Raphael. Um, and, you know, we were talking about a new project and we were discussing what we're going to do. And without me prompting, he said, well, can we add video to it? And I honestly nearly fell out of my chair. I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, you know, I had to learn how to use video and record my lectures these past two semesters. And my students really love it. And before I only used to send them written stuff and just text. but now. Um, you know, I want to add some video to my new project that I'm going to do with you because that, that seems what everyone likes. And so that to me was a really crystallizing moment mm. that That's awesome. um, in the past, I think universities are quite resistant to change and they have a lot of mechanisms for people who like to teach in a certain way just to be able to keep teaching in that certain way. But the pandemic really upended all that on its head and made everybody have to learn about the benefits of video and how great video can be as a teaching tool if it's done well with the big caveat of if it's done well so i think my first prediction is it's really here to stay and i think my second prediction is that the quality of videos are going to improve what i'm seeing now in my own studies and i just think from talking to other people and talking to other students is that Everyone at the moment sort of figuring out how to use video as a teaching tool and really just sort of, as I said before, just chucking video out there. And I think as people get more used to video, there'll be a demand, just like 
you know, they've been in the past for better textbooks, better other kinds of teaching tools that we won't just accept a 30 minute video of somebody rambling with no slides or animations or anything to sort of break up just a talking head rambling at a screen for 30 minutes. I think that will become less acceptable and people will spend more time and perhaps produce fewer videos, but of higher quality. I always thought when people were describing quality video, I only thought about the technical aspects of video, most of which I don't understand or didn't. But what I hear from you saying is a quality video beyond the technical aspects, more about like the intention of it. Does it fit here in the curriculum? Does it include, if that's what we're doing, just the intentionality of the video as part of the quality, not just the technical pieces of video? Yeah, I'm glad that came across because that's really what I think. There is a sort of minimum level of technicality. So, you know, minimum level of audio standard, minimum level of pixels we see at the kitchen be someone who's completely blurry. But I think once you hit that minimum level, what people are more interested in is, is the video content itself of good quality? Is it a well thought out video? Is it entertaining? Is the person personable? Those things become far more important. Well, see, Tiffany, I told you how awesome he is. I know. All the great stuff he has to share. And that perspective that he was sharing earlier about being a producer and consumer, you find more and more people like that every day because we interact with a lot of lifelong learners, but it's just so neat to hear that perspective. So thank you for being here with us to share. How do we follow up with what you're doing? (laughs) Um, Sure. Well, if I could just make a shameless pitch. um, Let's do it. (laughs) Sage Sage Skills Student Success and Sage Skills Business, those two new digital products where I sort of honed and thought about my pedagogical videos. Sage Skills Business has already launched. You can just search that on Google and come across it. And Sage Skills Student Success will be fully launched in the summer of this year. They're fantastic products. What they aim to do is build bridges to knowledge. So if you're a student in your first year of university and you feel like there are some skills that you're missing out on that you didn't pick up when you were in high school or secondary school, you can use student success and it will really teach you and give you some really practical skills that you will need in your first few years of university. And similarly, if you're finishing uh, university and you realise just like I was five, six years ago, that you don't really feel like you're prepared for the workplace and maybe you're missing out on some workplace skills that you're going to need. Sage Skills Business has got you covered and it's got a bunch of really practical skills for leadership, entrepreneurship and data analytics that's going to really teach you some practical things that you can use in your first workplace and talk about in your first job interviews after university. Absolutely. I'm really glad I asked that question. We'll be sure to link to these products too on our website, digitaltolearn.com, digital to learn with a numerical two. Does Sage also rent suits to those who are interviewing for <laughs> their jobs? <laughs> I just need to stop. I can't stop with the suit thing. I love this. I love the example. <laughs> I wish. Um, I think maybe I'll pitch that in our next product meeting. I'll say, guys, the suit business <laughs> is the way to go. <laughs> At IWU, where we work, there is on the main campus, there's something called the Career Closet, where employees and alumni can actually donate their used suits and professional clothing. And so that's probably why it's in my mind is I've donated mine because I don't need them anymore. Turn them in (laughs) so students can actually, just what you're saying, rent a suit for an interview and (laughs) kind of an equity thing. So anyway, it has just been a blast. Thank you for being here, Raphael. Thanks, Raphael. Good to see you you again. We'll see you again. Cheers.
And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for another excellent episode of Digital to Learn. We'll be back again next week with a new guest, new topic. As always, you can find all of our episodes in your favorite podcast provider and on our website, www.digitaltolearn.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.